Nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring today. Robert Half is here to help. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. It is Jobs Friday on today's Money Beat podcast. August produced 151,000 jobs. What do you think of that number? What does the market think of that number? What will the Fed think of that number? We're going to break it down with Michael Aroni from State Street Global Advisors. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Money Beat Podcast on this first Friday in September. Paul and Steve here in the studio. And I know it's Labor Day weekend. I know it's a big holiday coming up. A lot of you are dying. Actually, you know what the beautiful thing about podcasting, Grocer, is people may have already left for the weekend. They could be long gone, still can listen to us. Could download us, listen to us on the road. The absolute glories of technology. And the reason you want to listen to us is because, hey, we had a jobs report today, a pretty important one for a lot of different reasons. Uh, we'll, we'll discuss the numbers itself and what it means for the economy. First, 151,000 jobs created in August. And to help us do that, we have on the line Michael Laroni, who is the chief investment strategist at State Street Global Advisors. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. So, uh, you know, let me just throw it wide open to you, Michael. We saw the numbers this morning, 151,000 jobs created in August, 4.9% unemployment rate. What did you make of this report? What stuck out What stuck out at you? So the August employment report is very consistent with the broader economic recovery we've been experiencing. It's good, but it's certainly not great. So on the good side, as you've been describing, adding more than 150,000 jobs at this point in the cycle, given the length of the economic expansion that we've had, that's a good thing. Unemployment below 5%. Good thing. Broad job gains uh, also across industries, very healthy. So those are all positives. On the not great side, leading industries like construction, manufacturing continue to struggle to add jobs. And we continue to have pretty weak wage acceleration. So mm-hmm. labor is not taking more uh, away from capital and growing. And typically at this point of the economic cycle, we should expect to see labor kind of take more share of the capital pie, and that's not happening as well on the not great side. Yeah, you know, I have to say that's uh, the wages have been uh, kind of a, a thing I've been beating the drum about for a long time, and I just think, and look, this is one month, right? We all we're not going to make too much out of it, but uh, again, I keep hearing from everybody month, what it's not one month. Well, what I was going to say is I keep hearing from everybody that wage growth is about to pick up, wage growth is about to pick up, wage growth is about to pick up, and, and wage growth does, has not picked up to, to, to a, a degree at which you can start saying, oh, this reflects a solid economy. I mean, you look at that 2.4 percent, uh, the year-over-year year wage growth this month, you know, that, that's not a particularly strong number. And, and it's there's, not there's, going in the right direction, either. Right, that's what I was going to yeah. say. Directionally, it's also uh, it, it. It strikes me, uh, you know, one of the things you look at is we we we're seeing a moderation in job growth. Like the numbers coming down at mm-hmm. one eighty after being over two hundred last year, but we're not. See- and you we should expect that as the labor market tightens. But we're not seeing the jo- the the wage growth that you'd expect as the job market tightens. And yeah, w- right, right. W- do you have any sort of explanation as to why that could be happening? Mike? Well, I think one of the things that's interesting is that you actually are starting to see a little bit 
of turnover in jobs. Remember, okay. earlier in the cycle, it was, you know, just having a job was a good thing. Now, with unemployment below 5% and some tightening in the labor conditions, you are beginning to see turnover. And what's interesting is where you're seeing turnover, where people are leaving for another job, there wages are accelerating closer to 4%, which is historically um, where you would start to see that wage acceleration. However, there's just not enough of those folks at this point in the economic cycle, and that's kind of what's holding that broader number back. But where there are folks who are leaving, they're leaving for better jobs, they're leaving for raises, and we see wage acceleration there, very healthy sign. There's just not enough of them to overwhelm the, the aggregate number to push it higher at this point. And, and that's a bit surprising given where we are in terms of the economic cycle. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get this in front of me now because I want to try to get these numbers correct. We did our uh, live blog this morning. Uh, folks can go see that on the, the Money Beat blog. We always live blog the jobs report and we kind of break down all the numbers. And, and one of the things I try to do every month is take a look at because what the BLS does is in the establishment survey, there are the two surveys in the report. In the establishment survey, they break down by sector what jobs, you know, what sectors were hiring. And they'll always give you, you know, the top four or five sectors that added the most jobs. So what I really like to try to do is take those top sectors and then go look at the uh, table. I think it's table B8, which shows you what average wages are and weekly wages are. And look at who hired in the past month and, and what wages they're paying. And one of the concerning things, of course, is that this month – the top two sectors were sectors that don't really pay great wages. And I think that's always something we need to keep an eye on is who is high. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing if the report comes in and it's, oh, 278, uh, even 151. If, if the sectors that are doing all the hiring are sectors that don't pay great wages, that, that's not really a particularly good sign. And I think that's something that you have to be concerned about. It's not just who's hiring. It's what are they paying and what's the job growth look like there. You know, financial services, great sector. And actually, I think financial services looked the, looked the best this month. They had a decent uh, number of gains and the job growth there was good. I forgot the number was offhand. But then you look at, you know, um, hospitality, you know, restaurant hiring. You look at social services, which, you know, added, I think, 22,000 jobs. Those sectors don't pay as well. So I always think you have to kind of look at it in terms of not just what the number is, but not just what sectors, but what the sectors pay. But I don't think that was really a question, Michael. It was more of a, a little pontificating, but uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you want to I mean, riff I on that. That's right. I think that's been one of the stronger criticisms of uh, the employment gains that we've seen over the years, too many of them have been temporary or part-time yeah. or in um, jobs that, uh, as you describe, are, are not historically kind of those long-term, high-paying jobs. Um, and I think that continues to be some of the criticisms. As you rightly point out, though, financial um, services added, professional business services right. added, uh, and so that does offset some of that weakness. Uh, however, there continues to be pretty healthy gains in education and healthcare, retail trade, some of the others uh, where perhaps um, they're they're kind of uh, a little less uh, from a from a long term and high paying perspective. Yeah, yeah. And, and let's put this in the broader perspective. Where do you see? And, and you touched on this at the the top there of the interview, but I want you to kind of de- dive a little deeper into it. I mean. Where does this fit in with the overall economic picture, and and where do you think we are? I mean, we've had three straight quarters of GDP growth that was about one percent, really weak. Uh, where do you see the economy right now? 
I've been describing this economy uh, for a while as living in growth purgatory. And what I mean by that is if heaven, if nirvana is economic growth rates of 3% or more, where we have been historically, we can't quite seem to get to heaven. On the flip side, my view is that permanent liquidity provided by global central banks, including the, the Federal Reserve, prevents us from getting into a recession or something worse, right. if that's your kind of abyss, if that's your underworld. So what's left over? Well, we're stuck in purgatory. And purgatory, as you describe, is kind of ho-hum economic growth of around 2%, a very accommodative monetary policy, low interest rates, and pretty low inflation. And I think that's where we continue to live and where in this kind of underwhelming uh, recovery. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's take a break there. And, and I'll tell you, folks, when we come back, we, we consciously in this first segment avoided saying two words that I know everybody wants to hear, which are the Fed. In the next segment, we will talk about what this report means for the Fed with Michael Aroni from State Street. So how do we get AI right? Well, we need the right volume of data, the software to train it and massive compute power or another one bites the dust. Are you ready? Hey, are you ready for this? Are you hanging on the edge of your seat? But with HPE GreenLake, we get access to supercomputing to power AI at the scale we need, helping generate better insights. All right. Nice teamwork, guys. Search HPE GreenLake. Hey, this is Steven Perlberg from the WSJ Media Mix podcast. Are you interested in the biggest changes in the media and advertising business from Facebook to Snapchat? Tune into the WSJ Media Mix podcast for interviews with some of the biggest names in media, from Gawker CEO Nick Denton to Turner President David Levy. For more, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome back to the Money Beat podcast. This uh, I, I'm going to call Friday the Labor Day weekend. So this Labor Day weekend edition of the Money Beat podcast. We're very excited to have you with us. And, and listen, uh, as always, I just want to remind you out there in podcast land that you can find more great WSJ podcasts at WSJ.com slash podcast. We have a ton of them out there for you. We've got Your Money Matters, the free-for-all speakeasy heard on the street, WSJ Opinion Tech News Briefing. You can follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts. We are also, you can subscribe so that you never have to go looking for the podcast. They come right to you. Uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify on your Google Play Music app. And also, look, this weekend... My uh, great interview with Manu Sadia is going to drop on you, author of Treconomics. Yes, uh, we, we grocer, we really geeked out pretty good on this one, Manu and I. Uh, the economics of Star Trek. I think this might be the longest plug of of, of things I've ever heard. But really, you did, you did a nice job with it. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, look, there's just, there's so much out there for our subscribers. I want to make sure that they get the full picture. That's all that is. So. Getting back to getting back fact. to it, yeah. If, if we're in growth purgatory, is that enough? If we're sort of stuck in growth purgatory, is that enough for the Fed to move right. in September? And and asking our guest Michael Aroni yeah. of State Street, it's uh, the Fed that's the it's the little Fed that cried wolf. That's yeah. kind of what's been happening of late with Stanley Fisher, with Janet Yellen, mm-hmm. back in Jackson Hole, and it's not sufficient enough to uh, get the Federal Reserve to begin normalizing interest rates. 
Now, the reason they continue to talk a good game or cry wolf, as I describe, is because they are incredibly eager to get off of emergency uh, interest rate policy Mm -hmm. and begin the normalization policy, but they can't. And numbers, uh, growth purgatory, for example, combined with global geopolitical concerns and negative interest rates and monetary policy everywhere else prevents them from raising rates, as well as their kind of concerns about making a policy error that would prematurely curtail economic growth. I mean, you know, I'm looking at the numbers here, and, okay, we had 151,000 jobs in August, but the past two months, 275 in July, 271 in June. Uh, last, Interesting, last year we had 150,000 jobs in August, 277,000 in July, 228 in June. So... This number wasn't great, 151, but it wasn't awful. And I don't know if it really – I'm trying to play devil's advocate here. I, I mean, it, you know, the the average this year is about 200,000 jobs. Uh, we, we do have growth. You know, is, is but if it was all about 25 that. basis points – is the economy really at a place where it cannot absorb a 25 basis point interest rate increase? Right. I think the distinction that I would make here is uh, what you asked was, what do I think they'll do? And I think they'll right, remain on sure. hold, at least for now. Yeah. That doesn't mean that's what I think they should do. I think that from, a, from a, that perspective, uh, economic growth has been reasonable enough. Uh, you still have pockets of in- inflation. I mean, again, it's not high relative to history, but core inflation, X food, X energy, depending right. on what measure you're using, is ticking around the 2% or so target. Uh, as you described, we've been adding jobs um, pretty consistently now for the last few years, and you have some economic growth. Monetary policy was always intended to be temporary, yeah. and here we are eight years mm-hmm. in. Uh, they, you know, it did restore confidence in the financial system. It did help repair the labor market. It did what it was intended to do. It's time for the Fed to get out of the way and let kind of capitalism work, at least from my perspective. But that's not what I think they will do. I think they'll continue to remain on hold uh, for concerns about making that policy error by curtailing growth too uh, prematurely. No, I mean, it, it does seem like the history of the Fed in, in recent years has been to err on the side of, you know, saying pat and not raising rates um, out of, you know, the fear that, uh, you know, because there's no reason. Well, actually, there's there's little reason pushing them to have to do it. Like the inflation isn't, you know, right. gaining traction. Um, you know, well, the, so, yeah, the economy is not overheating exactly. by any stretch of the imagination. So, I mean, like, you know, unless you, you know, unless you have those reasons, I think, yeah. driving them to it, they're just, err- you know, erring on the side of... Right. And remember, these folks kind of learned at the right hand of Greenspan, Bernanke, Keynes, and their view very much is, is that they read that back in 1937, when the Federal Reserve raised rates too early... It caused an yeah. exacerbation of the Great Depression and made things right. much worse. And uh, Janet Yellen and her peers don't want to be reading 10 years down the line how they made a huge policy error by ra- raising rates too early. I do think, whether they like to admit it or not, that is in the back of their heads. And I think it keeps yeah. them on that cautionary side. Well, and do Like you, th- you said, there's no real right growth purgatory. Hey, it's not a bad place to operate, right? right? You know? Stock market's hitting new highs, growth's pretty reasonable, rates are low, inflation's low. You know, what's the big deal, right? Yeah. Well, and I wonder, too, I mean, obviously what the, the, obviously the effect on the economy of whatever the Fed does is, is important. 
But you also have to look at the effect on the markets. And I know they're not supposed to, but there's no way that they don't. And you have to look at this, that they're not operating in a vacuum. There are other central banks out there that are going even further than the Fed in terms of, of what they're providing in, and of, of and monetary have complicated policy. The Fed's and have policy. complicated the Fed's policy. I mean, you look at the market, the the, the bond market, the, the absolute, almost unbelievable yield numbers you're seeing on even long-term debt, uh, stock market at, you know, or near record highs in an economy that is barely moving, where profits are barely growing. You know, I think you have a uh, – this is my personal opinion, Michael. You can tell me if I'm right or wrong. I think you have a lot of imbalances, I'll call them, in the market, in the capital markets. And I do believe that the Fed, whether they're supposed to be or not, is looking at that and they're worried about what their policy would do to the markets. Because what happens in the markets matters to the economy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that they are watching that and have it kind of admitted as much, right? Right. They're keeping an eye on the financial markets. They're keeping an eye on geopolitical Europe, uh, Brexit, China. They've they've admitted as much in speeches and in their uh, statements following the FOMC. I think what's interesting, though, is that you have this kind of hubris in that, yeah, there's distortions, but many of these distortions are being caused by the very policies that they're putting forward. Exactly. So I think a lot of uh, the monetary policies in place tend to benefit the capital markets and financial transactions, and the transmission mechanism in which they, they follow through to the real economy is broken. Yeah. And that's why you're not seeing the pickup in GDP growth. That's why you're not seeing the pickup and business fixed investment and and capital expenditures and those types of things, which continues to hold growth back. In an uncertain world with very low interest rates, if I'm a corporate executive, it's much easier for me to borrow cheaply and do a shareholder distribution through dividends and buy back my stock than it is to kind of um, invest in a longer-term capital project that has a lot more risks than, than some of those financial transactions. We've talked about this a lot, mm-hmm. I think, uh, on this podcast, just about the inefficiencies that the monetary policy has sort of run into in trying to stimulate the, uh, you know, the economy. Uh, and, and this isn't just the Fed. This is, I think, across <laughs> the yeah. globe. Um, you know, what, and you, you you used a good term where you said, you know, that that transmission is broken. Is it just the uncertainty and, you know, the leftover fear from the financial crisis, you know, the, those scars that has sort of broken uh, that transmission, or is there something else going on? So my view is that there's kind of four things that these monetary policies lend themselves to uh, the benefit of financial transactions at the detriment to the real economy. Okay. Remember, all of these policies are put in place uh, with the focus of boosting consumption, that asset prices will rise when the rates are low enough. Therefore, folks will feel wealthier and they'll spend more. That's happened a little bit, right? Consumption is positively right. contributing to growth you know, almost everywhere in the world, including here in the U.S. The other part is, is that businesses will borrow those cheap assets and use those borrowings more productively in the markets. That is kind of seems to be broken. The four reasons, you know, in my mind, quickly are um, that financial transactions are short-lived. I can cancel my dividend. I can cancel my buyback at any time without any real penalty. That's not true of a capital expenditure project or a big long-term investment project uh, from a corporate executive. The second is liquidity. So if anything, uh, as you described, what the financial crisis taught us was that illiquidity can be fatal. 
and therefore financial transactions are much more liquid than kind of transactions in the real economy and therefore also benefit. The third one is around volatility. So what's really interesting here is that measures of capital market volatility, the VIX, uh, measures of kind of interest rate volatility, the move index, those they're in incredibly low levels. Those they're not that same kind of safety net doesn't exist for most folks in the real economy. And then lastly, and the central bankers hate this one the most, is there is a Greenspan put. There is a Bernanke helicopter. Maybe you guys can help me think of something clever for Yellen. (laughs) But they have an inherent floor for the capital markets, a presumption that they will come in and save the day. That same safety net does not exist in the real economy. And just think of it. Earlier this year, the Fed raised in December, said we're going to raise four more times, market through a fit, Fed quickly backed down and said, just kidding, we're only going to raise twice, and now it looks like it might only be once, if at all. And so that safety net does exist, and it doesn't exist for corporate executives and others. And I think that those types of behaviors tend to lend themselves to the capital markets and financial transactions, and that transmission mechanism that I talked about, it doesn't make its way into the real economy. I was going to get um, sort of to your point um, or one of your last points there. Going forward, do you how what do you think the likelihood of the Fed now moving in December? Because I mean, this report, while not great, was you know I think reasonably solid. Yeah, I think that they're incredibly eager to get off of zero. I think that should the economic um, results, the data, kind of lead them there, right? And that was the key line in in. Uh, in Yellen's Jackson Hole speech was that if the data continues to confirm our view that we will, uh, we think interest rate hikes are getting closer. So I think that's the key. Uh, I think one of the things I saw this morning kind of poking around in the news and things that I thought was interesting is it's not exactly clear that the Fed knows what they're looking for yeah. as the key catalyst and the signal. Uh, to begin uh, raising rates. But I do think they're eager to get off of there. I do think that uh, I think they're comfortable and have been for a while with the labor market. I think unemployment below 5%, adding 150,000 jobs. Williams came out and said, yeah, 100,000, 150,000, that's fine, given where we are in the cycle and some of the demographic changes and things we're seeing. I think the real challenge for them is the inflation and some of the other numbers, the fact that business fixed investment remains so low, exactly. that, that uh, some of the other kind of broader challenges to, to growth, I think that's what's keeping them on hold. There yeah, has been not, a real sort of split between the labor market and it seems like the rest of sort of the economy in many ways um, in terms well, of Well, at least that. in terms of the jobs numbers. Right, the headline numbers. Yeah, the headline numbers, yeah. sure, sure. Uh, and I think Mike, I, what Michael just pointed to, I think, is, is one of the – there are probably – two key things to look out for if you're really looking for the health of this economy. Uh, and, Michael, you've touched on both of them. Is, is business spending is, is a huge one. And, and Yellen has spoken about it. Right. And that. we've written about it. And, and you're talking about it, Michael. Productivity. Productivity. Okay. So three. Uh, now, now I'm becoming, uh, you know, no one expects a Spanish Inquisition. Uh, the three main things here are, so now you're talking about uh, productivity, capital investing, and, and wages. I'm going to keep hitting yeah. the drum on wages. Yeah. You know, when you start to see trends in those three things looking healthy, to me, that will be a sign that the economy is really going somewhere. 
what what else I find interesting in this conversation too is sort of hits at the point of you have all the markets on one hand, uh, you know, there's been this push and pull over you know sort of rates, you know, what the Fed's going to do with rates. Mm-hmm. The Fed has consistently, I think, been more trying optimistic on its ability to raise rates, uh, only to be proven wrong. While the market right. has consistently bet that they won't raise rates, yeah. and the market has, and been, has been right, right, yeah. So, so you can bet against the Fed, right? <laughs> All right, let's leave it there. Michael, I want to thank you very much. My pleasure. Yeah, it was really great. Thanks for coming in. Michael Aroni, who is Chief Investment Strategist at State Street Global Advisors. Everybody, have a great and safe and happy Labor Day weekend, and we will talk to you next week. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.